Welcome to the Yosemite Podcast, formerly known as Little Yo Pod. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and today we are going to dive into the long and controversial story of Hetch Hetchy, one of the most special and least known places in Yosemite National Park. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to talk about the new name for the podcast. So shortly after releasing the last episode, I decided to change Little Yo Pod to the Yosemite Podcast, which I know is confusing and an odd time to rebrand. But simply put, I thought not having the name Yosemite in the podcast title was affecting the ability for people to find us on their listening platforms. And I was right. (laughs) It is now much easier to find the podcast simply searching for the word Yosemite. Also, when I would tell people about the podcast in person... They seem to have a hard time understanding what Little Yo Pod meant, and I took that as a sign that I needed to be a little less ambiguous with the name. So I took a couple of days and made a new logo and settled simply on the Yosemite Podcast after tossing around many (laughs) different names, but that seemed like the most fitting one. But the new name and new logo are the only things that have changed. I'm still supporting the podcast on my own, and I will still be hosting and writing every episode, which means that I could really use your support with listener reviews and financial contributions um, if you're able to do that. And I will uh, talk a little bit more about that and give you links for that at the end of today's episode. So that's it. Uh, Not too exciting, just rebranding to increase traffic. I have seen a little uptick in listenership since renaming the podcast, which is great considering that we're actually entering the slow season in Yosemite. This is when I get the least amount of new new listeners. So we'll see how it goes from here. So just thank you for um, (laughs) still supporting me. I know it's kind of it's kind of like weird when things get rebranded and now I have like 200 stickers that say little Yopod that I don't know what to do with. So if you want a now I guess a collector's item, uh, you can send me an email and I'll send some stickers out to you. All right. So on to today's episode, Hetch Hetchy. If you know me, you know Hetch Hetchy is one of my absolute favorite places in Yosemite. I'm totally obsessed with it. So I'm really excited to do this episode. Uh, But a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of background on Yosemite National Park and kind of like when Hetch Hetchy was incorporated and all of that information before we dive into the controversy. So even though Yosemite National Park is roughly 1,200 square miles um, of land or about the size of Rhode Island, most visitors end up in Yosemite Valley, which represents only about 1% of the park. So the reason for that is because it's incredible and accessible. There is so much happening in Yosemite Valley. It's like this concentrated hub of scenery and what people really think of when they think of Yosemite National Park. So you have El Capitan, Bridalville Fall, Yosemite Falls, Half Dome, you have meadows, forests, wildlife, the Merced River, the Cathedral Rocks. I mean, it really is impressive to say the least, and you can get quite a bit done there um, if you have a limited amount of time. So most people come to Yosemite Valley, they take some pictures, and then they move on. 
I say most people don't even spend more than a day here. So that's a good place to, again, get what you need to or see what you need to see, those icons, and then you can kind of move on to the next thing. What most people don't know, though, is that there is another glacial sculpted valley like Yosemite Valley nearly as impressive within the park boundaries. It is in the northern part of Yosemite National Park and has been called the second Yosemite Valley. It has towering cliffs and waterfalls, oaks and pines, and an abundance of wildlife and plant species. And most people never go there because that valley today is covered by hundreds of feet of water. It is the Hetch Hetchy Valley of the Tuolumne River, once a meadow ecosystem that was dammed in the early 1900s. Imagine Yosemite Valley filled a few hundred feet up with water and you can imagine what Hetch Hetchy looks like today which is not natural, of course. The damming of Hetch Hetchy was opposed by many and was considered a massive loss for preservation at the time the reservoir was constructed. To this day, the dam is at high risk of eco-terrorism, so much so that the Park Service, much uh, they must lock the gate to the reservoir every night. And it locks pretty early. They close it at like seven. <laughs> so you can't spend too much time there. So if there's so much animosity over this damned valley, why was it built in the first place? After all, aren't national parks supposed to preserve landscape and resources? Isn't that the whole point of protecting these places? <laughs> well, Hetchy is an interesting story, um, kind of what I think of as a utilitarianist philosophy, which assumes the greatest good for the greatest number. In this case, um, that, that greatest good was the need for reliable and efficient water and power for the city of San Francisco following an event that devastated the city in 1906. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the valley pre-damming. Hetch Hetchy, like many parts of the Sierra Nevada, was inhabited for thousands of years by Native Americans. Hetch Hetchy, that name, it is believed refers to edible grasses that grew in the valley there. The valley was at one time a river-carved canyon that widened and filled with sediment following several glaciation periods. So it has that iconic wide valley floor like Yosemite Valley, but on a slightly smaller scale, like maybe shrunk down to about a third of that size. The depth of the valley reaches a maximum of of 3,000 feet. It is about three miles long and is home to iconic Wapama and Tiulala Falls, two of the tallest waterfalls in North America. Really, minus the dam, the topography of Hetch Hetchy is remarkably like Yosemite Valley, which is why a lot of people have a hard time accepting the damming of such an iconic landscape. Iconic as it was, however, Hetch Hetchy did not receive the same recognition or visitation that Yosemite Valley was seeing in the early days of the park or when it was established as a state park. Hetchy was not even included in the original Yosemite grant, but most of what we know as Yosemite today was not included in that initial land grant either. It was early Yosemite sheep herder turned advocate John Muir who lobbied for the protection of Hetch Hetchy and the areas surrounding Yosemite Valley and the Mariposa Grove, which now includes like Wawona and Tuolumne Meadows, um, all of that area um, that was incorporated in 1890. Um, and that's what earned Hetch Hetchy federal protection as part of Yosemite National Park. So that came as bad news to the ranchers <laughs> who continued graving livestock in the valley, then made illegal um, with the establishment of the national park boundary in 1890, and of course the city of San Francisco. Um, the city of San Francisco had its eye on the Hetch Hetchy Valley to replace its old and decrepit water system. The burgeoning city sought rights to the valley's water supply uh, early, early on in the early part of the 20th century. In 1901, 19 and 
1905, they petitioned for that access to the Tuolumne River. But they were denied every time due to conflicting water rights of the river by other interests, like agriculture interests. And of course, the fact that Hetch Hetchy and that portion of the Tuolumne River were within the boundaries of national parkland. But then, on April 18, 1906, a 7.9 magnitude earthquake struck the city of San Francisco, starting a series of deadly fires that would destroy 80% of the city's infrastructure and killed over 3,000 people. It is still considered California's deadliest natural disaster and ranks as one of the top natural disasters in American history. I mean, that's huge. That's super significant. The entire city was almost destroyed. Most of the damage and death occurred because of the fires, and San Francisco's inadequate water system uh, is really what they what they blamed it on, and that prompted intense interest in securing a reliable water source. So the battle for Hetch Hetchy intensified, and it was the city of San Francisco basically versus John Muir and the Sierra Club. And that was a fight that would last for seven years after the Secretary of the Interior granted water rights of the Tuolumne River to San Francisco in 1908. Arguments for the reservoir were supported by the geographic profile of the valley, which did seem like the perfect choice for a dam. It was a wide valley with a flat bottom, uh, steep cliffs, and a narrow outlet that could be easily blocked or dammed up. On top of that, not many people visited Hetch Hetchy, and even the Native Americans in the past only stayed there seasonally because it could be very inhospitable during certain times of year, especially spring and summer, um, due to the flooding and the heat uh, that exists there. But that would become the height of tourist season, so it wasn't you know, an obvious location for people to go to during that time. So because Hatch Hatchie's outlet was so narrow, the Tuolumne River overflowed into the meadows uh, during the springtime before it was down, creating impossible traveling conditions and just terrible mosquito problems. In fact, they have this really um, healthy population of bats there because of that mosquito situation. So not a place that many people want to visit during that time of year. They also have a lot of rattlesnakes. Um, it's just kind of a little bit of a rough <laughs> area to visit, which is one of the reasons why I love it. During the summer months, um, the valley, even today, uh, is just too hot to be enjoyable, often exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Since the valley was not a huge draw for Yosemite National Park, it was deemed more useful as a water reservoir. You know, it's like, what are you going to use it for? If not that many people are going there, you might as well dam it up, at least. That's probably what how they're thinking went back then. Uh, but John Muir held fast in his determination to protect the beautiful valley, perfect in his eyes. He said damming Hetch Hetchy would be like damming the people's churches and cathedrals and stated, quote, no holier temple has ever been consecrated by the heart of man, end quote. I feel like he said that about a lot of places, but he did love Hetch Hetchy. Um, but although he did create a loyal following with some nature enthusiasts, um, mere saccharine sentiments did little to convince the powers that be in the, in the campaign to damn Hetch Hetchy. Uh, they had other interests in mind other than just preserving beautiful valleys. In 1913, Congress passed uh, something called the Raker Act, permitting the damming of the valley uh, specifying that no private profit could be made from the development, which was certainly a risk being such a huge project. Um, and they couldn't, you know, there could be no private profit because it was on public land. 
So that stipulation alone uh, is very important and has created quite a bit of controversy. Uh, and it's been one of the platforms for the restoration of Hetch Hetchy Valley as the city of San Francisco did end up selling the hydropower created from the reservoir to uh, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, or PG&E, in 1925. And that's controversial because that is an investor-owned power company in California. It's not a it's not a public entity. So they are making money off of it and off of the resources coming from the national park. Still, um, once the Raker Act was passed, the damming project was inevitable. And that act was really the final nail in the coffin for saving Hetch Hetchy. John Muir died less than a year later in 1914, possibly from the stress. And some people say he died from heartbreak uh, from the fight over his beloved Hetch Hetchy Valley. In 1914, the Hetch Hetchy Railroad was built, um, and that was built just for delivering supplies to the project from San Francisco. It's a very remote location, keep in mind. Uh, and then construction of the O'Shaughnessy Dam began in 1919. It was named for Michael O'Shaughnessy, uh, the city engineer for San Francisco, overseeing the project. It took about four years uh, to construct the dam from 1919 to its original height of 227 feet, which was um, added onto and reaching up to 312 feet by 1938. The reservoir as a source of water was achieved in 1934, and that's over 20 years from when the project started. So, you know, it was probably a pretty big deal when it finally started delivering water to San Francisco, and they were pretty excited about it. Controversy aside, uh, the dam is very impressive. It is a monumental structure in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, which is no small task for such a remote location, especially in the early part of the 20th century. So that was 1934, and the valley has been filled with water ever since. There is an obvious ring around the lip of the reservoir that has bleached the granite over time. And since it is a water source, swimming and boating are, of course, not allowed. The controversy continues to this day, however, which is why the road to the reservoir closes when the guard station closes. Um, perhaps the most impressive protest came in 1987 when an environmentalist and artist uh, rappelled down from the top of the dam under the cloak of night and painted a 40-foot crack down the face of the dam, along with the words of a John Muir quote that said, free the rivers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I'll include a picture of that in the show notes today. It's very impressive. Uh, even the manager of Hetch Hetchy Water and Power District admitted it was a work of art and that the artist had a lot of pride in the project. I kind of I wish they would have kept it up, but the crack was quickly painted over. But it was very clear that there were certainly people who had some immense um, sentiments about the dam. It does stir a lot of emotion in people. Uh, a group called Restore Hetch Hetchy was created in 1999, and they continue to fight for the restoration of the valley very actively. One of their arguments claims that San Francisco violated the Raker Act when it sold hydropower to PG&E. Uh, but that argument, for whatever reason, has been shot down repeatedly, never really gaining traction or the support needed uh, for such a grand undertaking of restoring that valley, just based on that alone. Proponents for restoration claim there would be no issue with the water source for San Francisco if the water were drained from Hetch Hetchy. It would just need to be held in another reservoir, specifically uh, one called Don Pedro. Also, the dam itself they say, would not even need to be deconstructed. It would just need a hole cut through it um, to release the water, which would save on the cost of demolition. Uh, and the dam would remain as a monument to engineering and the people who built it. And experts believe that within decades, um, just a few years, grasses and trees would cover the valley floor. And within a century, um, Hachachi would look much as it did before it was dammed. 
On the other hand, those against draining Hetch Hetchy claim that without the hydropower station near the reservoir, that lost power supply would have to be replaced with polluting energy sources or like fossil fuels. And the water held in the reservoir further downstream at Don Pedro would need more treatment since it's not in a, as a pristine environment which could be potentially very costly and less efficient. Still, the potential for restoration um, continues to grab the attention. It grabbed the attention of the Bush administration in 2007, and uh, they proposed a $7 million budget for the study of the removal of the O'Shaughnessy Dam. But that proposal was... adamantly opposed by California State Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has been fighting against the removal of the dam since her days as mayor of San Francisco. Feinstein said back then, and this was in the 1980s, that removing the dam for, quote, an expanded campground, end quote, was, and again, quote, dumb, dumb, dumb. (laughs) And the city of San Francisco unanimously agreed with that sentiment, with 77% of the population voting down a proposition in 2012 that would allocate $8 million to study the removal of the dam. So the fight continues, and both sides do make very compelling cases. Water is the most valuable resource in California, and I'm sure the idea of dismantling a dam so we can restore a valley does not seem like the best use of resources. But I think Hetch Hetchy will be restored eventually. Once the kinks in the metaphorical hose are all worked out, it's still possible for San Francisco to have a reliable water source without Hetch Hetchy Reservoir in place. And with advances in power supply focused on clean energy, I'm sure some brilliant engineer will figure out how to resolve the loss from the power station. It's only a matter of time, in my opinion, and that's not me saying I feel one way or another on this topic. I just think dams are a bit antiquated at this point in time. And they did play a very important part in our history, but I'm just not sure they're as necessary as they once were, at least not all of them. One great outcome of the dam is that because the area is so undeveloped, it ironically is one of the most well-preserved areas of the park. Not many people visit Hetch Hetchy, and if they do, they only make a short hike to Opama Fall and back, and that's about it. But there are so many miles of trails in the area that are just so beautiful and special. In fact, one of my favorite backpacking trips in Yosemite is from Hetch Hetchy out to um, Lake Vernon. And the area around the reservoir has some (laughs) some of the most wildlife and nocturnal wildlife in the entire park. I mean, it's it's incredible how wild it still is up there. So I suppose it's up to each of us individually to decide how we feel about it. And it's very different for everyone, you know. But uh, this is where we have to be understanding and willing to listen to each other. But if there's one lesson I would take from this story, it's that we should always fight for the things we love, even when we know it's a losing battle. It can be heartbreaking and even costly and even costs our health sometimes. But in the end, if we know we did everything we could, we know we did enough. And that is no failure. The failure is in not even trying. Making an attempt to save the things we love is something each of us must do every day, now more than ever. Do it for Hetch Hetchy. (laughs) If you want to know more about Hetch Hetchy, you should go see it. Uh, It's in the northern part of Yosemite National Park off of Evergreen Road or off of the road that's uh, coming from San Francisco, 120 West. I would suggest going in the spring or even in the winter uh, if you're one of those clever people who come during the winter months. One of the best times to come, in my opinion. Those are my favorite times to go. And if you do go in the spring, you'll be rewarded with a lovely wildflower display and waterfalls, massive waterfalls running at peak capacity. 
There are also some great videos about Hetch Hetchy on YouTube that I will include in today's show notes, as well as the resources and ways to contact me. Also, if you're going to Yosemite through the 140 entrance from Merced, you can stop in El Portal and see the Hetch Hetchy Railroad engine number six. It's pretty cool. Uh, It's the one that they use to bring the supplies in. Or it's one of the ones they used to bring the supplies in. It's a bit different from other engines from what I understand because it was such a narrow, twisty, turny track. So it's a quick stop, but it's pretty neat. Uh, I don't think many people know about it. So just something else, something quick to tack on to your visit to Yosemite. I want to thank you for listening to the Yosemite podcast. If you like this stuff, please rate the podcast and consider leaving a review. Those ratings and reviews really help people find us and ensure that this content will keep coming for years to come. If you would like to support my work, please consider making a financial contribution via my Venmo account. I am at laura-jackson-23, and that information will be in the show notes from today's episode. This week, I want to thank Wei Kiyu, I hope I pronounced that right, for their financial contribution to the Yosemite podcast, and Tina from California for her lovely review, which stated that the podcast, quote, made our trip to Yosemite 10 times better. I'm so happy um, that I could ha- that I could help you have a better visit. So thank you so much, uh, both of you, for your support. Also, I want to thank my friend and listener, Janae, for her substantial financial contribution earlier this year. Thank you so much, Janae. That was so helpful. And thank you on behalf of the listeners, because those contributions are what give me the time uh, to afford to this podcast. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in Yosemite.